0: Colossians chapter 2 is where we are this morning, Colossians 2 and verse 18. Now this passage is uh, continued in the large argument that Paul has for the church in Colossae, a church, uh, a city rather. Colossae is a city in uh, Asia Minor, western part of uh, modern-day Turkey, about 100 miles inland from the Mediterranean Sea, or the Adriatic Sea, or the the Aegean Sea—I guess it would be in that part of the of the Medi- larger Mediterranean—and yet it was a a city in which some false doctrine had infiltrated and was affecting and if not even afflicting, the church there. And so Paul, from a thousand miles away in Rome, and a ho- under house arrest for the, that was two years that he was there, wrote this letter to the Colossian church and wanted to assure them and convince them and uh, encourage them to stand firm on these scriptures and especially on what Christ has done in his death, burial, and resurrection. There are many people that were teaching the church that uh, you need to do this or you need to do that or you really ought to pay attention to this or you ought to... uh, uh, be careful how you live your life, which we ought to as Christians, we ought to be careful, but they were saying, no, your salvation depends upon how you live your life, and that 's not that 's not true and what Christ has done is our is our is our seal is our confidence now. It does. Our being saved does affect how we live our lives. And even James goes on to say that uh, faith without works is dead. Can that faith, can any kind of faith that doesn't produce good works, can that faith save anybody? No, our faith is assured in uh, Christ himself and is resting in his performance, what he has done for us. The salvation we have is secure in Christ, and he is our confidence, he is our assurance, he is our uh, reason for boasting, not in what we do or don't do or who we believe in apart from Christ. Paul wants to make sure that they are fully based in, uh, sourced in, Uh, uh, summed up in the Lord Jesus Christ. So many people would want to distract them from Christ. And so Paul uh, states this, beginning at verse 16, I'll read through verse 19, and we'll look at a couple verses in particular. But he says in verse 16, "...therefore no one is to judge you in food and drink, or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a shadow, only a shadow of what's to come. But the substance belongs to Christ." Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, going into detail about visions he has seen being puffed up for nothing by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. That is what Paul is teaching us. We looked at the those first two verses, verses 16 and 17, uh, last week, and the fact that legalism cannot save us. Legalism, being the, the uh, a definition of that, would be. Stating that our works have something to do with the the basis of our salvation, Now, good works flow out of our salvation. But they're saying no. In order for you to be saved, you've got to do this. You've got to keep those festivals and those those new moons, the the starting of the months, and how the Jewish calendar was was uh, calibrated each each time. You know, every month it was reset to the to the uh, appearance of the new moon, and of course a weekly Sabbath day. Make sure you honor that. Keep the Sabbath day. Of course, that's a commandment. Honor the Sabbath day. And keep it holy. Uh, and in six days you shall labor. So y'all need to be working six days and then rest on one day. Um We don't usually do that. We like that one day a week rest, but that six days a week, what's that about? So the point is Christ is our Sabbath. He is the one who uh, accomplished that for us. He is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath day was a gift for people. The festivals were a gift to the people from God, especially for the Jewish people, that they would have an annual, and even five times a year, annual reset to worship the Lord as the one who is their deliverer, the one who is their Life in terms of the first fruit festival, he is the one who is a cause for celebration. He is the the uh, uh, the ordering event in our lives. The Yom, the, not the Yom um, the Rosh Hashanah, the New Year that they celebrate, the Day of Atonement. Christ is our atonement. He is the one who uh, takes away our sin, our our condemnation. And certainly that feast of booze where we celebrate the the nearness of God, the dwelling of God, as if it has come upon among men so all those festivals were shadows as paul says shadows of things coming but the substance or the body belongs to christ so legalism cannot save you don't let anyone condemn you or judge you based on what you do or don't do the only reason or cause for judgment is from god and that has to do with are you in christ or not do you believe in the in christ the son do you believe in him as the savior the lord the protector your only hope is he the tr- the way and the truth and life by which we come to the Father? If you don't find your refuge in him, then you ought to let other people judge you. That's not in a judgy kind of way, but it is uh, a, a possibility for then repentance, conviction of sin and repentance. Turn away from that. Run to Christ. find him your refuge. Legalism cannot ch- save you. Here in these verses 18 and 19, he kind of talks about some some mysticism, some super uh, special kind of things that these false teachers were saying, well, if you're not in with us, then you're kind of missing out. And not just missing out, you've got issues, you've got problems that, that somehow your salvation is not enough. Uh, Christ was good, he got you started, but really you need this uh, this add-on. It's not even an add-on, it's, it's part two of your, your Christian walk. You need to know these things that we will we'll tell you about it. For a fee, of course. Nothing of this comes free. These false teachers the reason, part of the reason why false teachers uh, false teach is because there's good money in false teaching. Uh, you, you, uh, Acts 20 says um, some of the elders in the Ephesian church were going to teach strange things in order to draw away disciples after them. You draw away disciples, you you draw the people, but you also draw all their resources, and now we have kind of a uh, a cash flow um, benefit with having your your followers after you. So these false teachers were not in it uh, for for the sake of truth; they were in it for the sake of what their special brand and uh, uh, way of teaching brought them, and they were very much or or ordered around themselves. And yet they were afflicting so many people. Paul says, don't let anyone, in this verse, verse 18, don't let anyone defraud you of your prize. Now, okay, so I need to mention this. In this these two verses specifically, there is so much going on in these two verses that I have no idea what Paul is talking about. One person has said, uh, ancient history is is difficult because so much of it happened so long ago. Now, you get that. It's 2,000 years ago. Some of these things that Paul is talking about in the Colossian church in another 100 years or so, 150 years, really erupted into full-blown Gnosticism. Now, we could talk about that. But what's going on in, in the Colossian church is it's a special case. It, it's something that so many of the words that he uses in this, these two verses specifically are used only here, one time in the Old New Testament. This word, let no one defraud you. Only one time does Paul use this particular word. And he's used a a variation of this word that we'll look at in just a moment. But uh, Defrauding you of your prize or this this idea of um, uh, the worship of angels. What is he talking about worshiping angels about? Or uh, these other things that we look through. So Paul uses... I think he uses some very technical terms that relate to the specific false doctrine that is going on in the Colossian church. He knows what's going on. Remember, he had a hand report from Epiphras, the guy who started the church in Colossae, he came to Paul in Rome and said, you know, this is happening. these people are teaching this and that's going on. And so Paul says, oh, let me help them look to Christ. That will solve everything. Because what these people are doing is trying to lead them away. Remember, we looked earlier, let no one, uh, take you captive through empty philosophy and the, this false stuff. Don't be turned away from Christ. Look back to him. Reset against against Christ. He is the mark of what is true. So in these verses, uh, there's a lot of discussion, a lot of uh, friendly debate, suggestion. I think this is what Paul means here. I think this is what Paul means there. Uh, in a lot of respects, could be. Could be what they, they argue this or that kind of thing. But the main idea here is they do not hold fast to the head. They don't hold fast to Christ. If they distract you from what Christ has done, don't listen to them. Come back to Christ. Be, rest in him. Rest in what Christ has done. Who he is, he's the fountain of wisdom. All wisdom and knowledge are centered in Christ. He is the fullness of Godhead, the Godhead bodily. He is our refuge. He's the one by whom we have been saved. So for the Colossian church, for our church, worship Christ. Look to him. Find your refuge in him. Now, he says, though, here in verse 18, let no one defraud you. So again, not anyone. We don't say, well, I know those other people shouldn't, but this is my dear friend over here, and, and you know they have special insight, and so I should listen to that. Well, if that person is speaking against Christ, don't listen to him. And even Titus, Paul says to Titus, uh, chapter 3, verse 10, if anyone is a uh, being divisive or, or um, hostile against the truth rebuke him and if he still is is engaged in that falseness and and, and causing strife and and this unity in the church reject him after first and second warning knowing that he is self-condemned and sinning uh, or he is uh, sinning being self-condemned so he says let no one doesn't matter who they are what kind of following they have how many twitter followers or whatever or or are they president of this seminary or, or of that what if they're not speaking according to the book don't listen to them let no one defraud you. And it really comes back to us. We've got to be on our guard. We've got to be vigilant for the truth. We've got to be uh, bold for the truth, which comes back even further. We've got to know what the truth is. You know, the, the key verse for Awana, 2 Timothy two fifteen: study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We want to know God's word. We've got to stand on the scriptures because the world isn't, And they're speaking according to what they think. They don't know much. They have depraved minds. They're darkened in understanding. They are anti-God, anti-Christ. Let no one defraud you of your prize. Well, What does it mean, defraud you of your prize? This is one of those one-time only words used in, in in the New Testament. And it relates to Um, A prize that you earn after an athletic competition. There's so many times that Paul uses athletic imagery. Think of 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, He says uh, everyone who runs in the race uh, doesn't just run. He runs for the prize, right? Run for that prize. So let us uh, run in such a way that we may win. What are you going to win? Well, read on in that context, uh, a wreath that is perishable, well, Christians don't run for a perishable wreath. We run for this prize. And elsewhere, he describes the prize, like Philippians 3, I press on to lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of, that prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The prize, as he's defined it elsewhere in the Colossian letter, is forgiveness. It is life. It is sanctification. It is Uh, assurance of salvation. It is wisdom and knowledge. It is the fact that we've been transferred out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of His beloved Son. It is finding Christ to be our all in all. All these things, these are prizes that we enjoy. So don't let anyone defraud you. And what does it mean to defraud? You have won this, or in our case, Christian case, we have received this prize by faith, by God's grace. It's a gift. It's not something we've earned. But they're saying, no, uh, you, you can't enjoy that. You you don't deserve that. You've got to do this other stuff. And so they're trying to defraud us from the prize that is rightly ours. It is given to us in Christ. And they're saying, no, 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 no. You misunderstand. It's Christ plus this other stuff. In this case, uh, some some mystical stuff that we'll get into. He says, don't let anyone defraud you. You have this prize. It is yours. And now somebody's trying to take it away. Don't let them. Don't Turn aside. Don't be taken captive. He said this in so many different ways in this letter. Don't be taken captive by what sounds like, oh, uh, yeah, I, I, I want to make sure, you know, make my uh, my salvation sure, right? So I've got to add this. I've got to do this. I've got oh, make sure they keep the Sabbath day. The new moon. When's the new moon after all? And all this kind of stuff and it's distraction against Christ. We give our attention to Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that we live any which way we want. We want to order our lives according to what Christ's law says. And really, ultimately, it says, love others. Love. He who loves his brother has fulfilled the law. What? Is there any other thing I can do? My brother is kind of hard to deal with. And we're not just talking siblings like fraternal whatever or sisters. We're talking all y'all. And if there were any other way for us to prove our devotion to Christ other than having to love people... We would go after that, and often, people, oftentimes, we do. We try to find other ways than the God ordained supernatural way, which is the proof of our faith, the proof of our salvation, is to love one another. We'll get into that later in in Colossians three, how Paul says you need to let the love of the brothers um, proceed. These false teachers are trying to rob the Colossian Christians of their prize. He says, don't let them do that. Uh, A related idea. Who who has the authority to to deny somebody who has earned, in in the athletic case, who has earned their prize? Who has authority to say no? No goal. No score. No whatever it is. Well... Umpires or referees, right? And that is part of this idea too. Part of this word is is uh, having an umpire or having somebody who is an authority who can determine yes or no. Did you earn that? Did you qualify that goal, or is that that's a that's a foul, or that's a, a no goal, or that's whatever the problem is? It's interesting how Paul uses not the word used here, "defraud you of your prize," but part of this word in Colossians three and verse fifteen. He says, "Let the peace of Christ," and here's the word. Rule in your heart, or be the referee, be the authority in charge. He says, "Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart." He says, "So, what is the to be the presiding attitude, aspect, uh, mindset of our heart? Peace, peace with God certainly, but peace with others, living in peace with others." And he says, "To which indeed you were called in one body." And be thankful. He says in a corresponding passage, Ephesians four. Um, be diligent to maintain or preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Peace is an important thing. He says, "Peace acts as your umpire; it acts as the the referee, so you can determine then in what I about what I have done or I'm about to do is that ruled by peace, or is that something that would tend toward disunity, disharmony, anger, uh, bitterness, and, and all would it tend to break apart the fellowship that we have in Christ." And he says, make sure that you listen to that umpire. But here, when they're trying to defraud you, lead you away from Christ, don't listen to them. Don't let them disqualify you in that regard. Christ has qualified you. Christ is your reason for being. These false teachers are not to be regarded as authoritative. And somehow they've got some special knowledge that somehow wasn't didn't make it into the book. And they have a special, we've got to listen to them. Paul says, no, they are not rivals. They are not competitors uh, against Christ. They are persons who are uh, just frustrating. Those who have received by faith uh, through God's grace that prize. Other scriptures talk about that prize that we have earned or not earned, but received through Christ. And yet he says, be careful. Let no one defraud you or keep defrauding you. Which is to say, it's not a one once-and-done kind of th- situation. You've got to have, be vigilant. You've got to be careful. There's so many voices out there. And if, if anything, more voices than before. T- in Paul's day, the folks in Colossae had these false teachers. But now we are exposed to false teachers all over the world. And not just contemporary false teachers. False teachers from 3,000 years ago. 100 years ago. Their voices are just amplified. And how do you discern? Oh, some people discover, I just discovered this teacher from 50 years ago. He's so great. Well, is he talking according to the book? Well, you've got to go to the book. Measure everything according to God's word. Don't let anyone defraud you. Don't let anyone take you captive. Stand firm. Remain connected to the head. It says here, verse 8, uh, verse 18 rather, introduces four um phrases that qualify. Well, how are they doing this? How, what is it that they are doing? There are three things that they're doing and four things, a well, fourth thing that they're not doing. And the fourth thing really tells uh, what the issue is. But he says this first thing, what they're doing is delighting in or desiring in, uh, desiring in self-abasement, my, my scripture, my uh, version says. They're delighting in this first issue, first phrase or qualification of, well, how are, how are they doing this defrauding? Well, they're delighting in things that are not right. Uh, delighting in has to do it literally. It says desiring in, or or willing in, wanting in, and it, it may be a a, a Semitic, uh, uh, a Jewish uh, uh, phrase that they, that Paul was using here. It's used uh, several different times, variations of it in the Old Testament, especially the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Uh, for example, when. King Saul was trying to tempt David to, so that David would die. Uh, Essentially, Saul said, speak to David secretly, saying, behold, the king delights in you. Literally, it says, the king desires in, or is desiring in you, and all his servants love you. Now, therefore, become the king's son-in-law. And David, Saul, rather, was trying to kill David, have an excuse to kill him. Anyway, the, the point there is, the king was delighting in David or had this, this reason, this reason for uh, finding uh, satisfaction or joy exulting in him. There's some other places, uh, even Sheba, Queen of Sheba said to Solomon, First Kings 10 and verse 9, Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, there's our phrase, who delighted in you, to set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever, therefore made you king to do justice and righteousness. So there's that phrase again, who delighted in. What were these people delighting in? They were delighting in, in this translation, self-abasement and the worship of angels. Self-abasement. Now, maybe your translation, actually it probably doesn't, uh, the word is humility. In fact, in this verse and in verse 23 in this in Colossians 2, at the only times in all the scripture that, these, that this word is used in a negative fashion, because humility is a godly attitude. Uh, uh, Thinking less of yourself. Philippians 2 talks about it. Micah 6, 8. What is required of you but to fear, to, uh, um, how does it go? To love God, to walk justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And that verse, I mean, Daniel 4. You read about Nebuchadnezzar who walked in the pride of his heart. And the last verse of Daniel 4 said, I know there's a God, and he is able to humble those who walk in the pride of their hearts. I was Nebuchadnezzar. God humbled him very much. And of course, 1 Peter 5 says, uh, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He's able to humble those who walk in the pride of their heart, or he, is, he just he doesn't go with humility. Uh, excuse me, he doesn't go with pride. Pride is, is wrong. But here, Paul says these false teachers are delighting in humility. Well, how can that be wrong? In fact, he's going to command it of us later in Colossians 3 that we should be humble and so forth. So how is it wrong? Well, again, this may be one of those times where Paul is using a technical word to just to refer to something that's going on in Colossae. It's this this idea of humility is very much tied to this second phrase here, uh, the worship of angels. And the worship of angels is a unique phrase that he uses. It's used elsewhere, but but it's used in a very specific sense, in a negative sense here. The point is, it could be that when he talks about humility, it is a false kind of humility, humility. I'm so proud. I'm so humble, kind of a thing, or I'm I'm, I'm so humble. I'm so proud. You know that kind. Of, they don't go together. But for some some reason, these people think of themselves as so um, uh, uh, low on the totem pole, and yet because they think of themselves so lowly, they exalt themselves and they say, "Well, you got to pay attention to me. I've got some special things going on." It could be that they that specifically related to fasting. You've got to abase uh, yourself. With fasting or severe treatment of the body, he says later, verse twenty-three, um, that somehow fasting was a way into this secretive, special worship of the angels, which then allowed them a special knowledge. Uh, uh, you know, being part of the inner crowd or the the inside group, or you've got a an inside uh, path or, or secret knowledge. I mean, they're they're wrong. They're delighting in these things. It's a wrong aspect. It's a wrong standard. Why are you? Not holding fast to the head, why are you why are you turn to other things, turning to other devices? We ought to remain steadfast in Christ, not having a false humility, not having a um, a selfishness which is so selfless that it becomes selfish. It's 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 wrong. It's wrong way of thinking it, and yet. God desires humility in all of our lives. Uh, we should, verse uh, 12 of chapter 3, Colossians, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility. So humility is a good thing. But in this case, no, it's not good at all. What are they doing? They are worshiping angels. Perhaps that self-abasement is a path toward the toward the worship of angels. This is used elsewhere in a positive fashion, sort of in a positive fashion. Paul says in Acts 26 that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion or our worship or our order our, our way of life and that way of course it's a pharisaical religion a works-based religion but he was speaking of it positively uh, or in james really james is the one who uses it positively james 1 26 and 27 this is pure religion undefiled religion um, before our god and father is to to visit orphans and widows in their affliction to keep oneself unstained by the world so he uses it positively. Paul here uses it negatively because it's organized around angels. What are you doing, worshiping angels? How, what are you lifting them up for? They're servants. They're not worthy of worship. In fact, any time, especially John, the Apostle John, who ought to know better, any time that he would bow down to worship an angel, twice in Revelation, Revelation 19 and Revelation 22, both times, the angel says, "Don't do that. I am a fellow servant." of you. Now, angels and saints, Christians do not become angels when they die. Don't get confused that way. Angels are a separate class of being. They're not redeemable because angels have not sinned, whereas humans are made in the image of God. And we can sin, but we also can be redeemed, forgiven. So angels and saints are different. And yet the the angel says, don't worship me. I'm a fellow servant of you. Worship Christ. Worship God. And so there is that attention. Do you remember when Satan was in the in the wilderness with Jesus and he says, I'll show you all the kingdoms of the world and I'll give them all to you if you just bow down and worship me. Now, so it's not the same word as used here, but the idea is the same. Worshiping Satan. Well wait a minute. Satan is not God. He's not the equal with God. He is a created being. Therefore he is, you can forget about him, because Christ is overall. Everything created we saw this back in chapter one everything created is made in Christ for Christ by Christ, and he is over it he has conquered it both by his well, he's creator but he's also conquer over these things and so don't worship angels don't worship Satan uh, Jesus replied to uh, Satan in that in that Matthew four Luke four passage uh, no go Satan you shall worship and serve the Lord only and that's how Jesus responded so there is that this this false teaching that the, the uh, these people are, are giving to the Colossian church somehow with self abasement somehow a false worship that then leads into the worship of angels don't worship angels worship Christ and in fact if anything these Colossian people are doing is is again being taken captive and being led away from as Paul says in Second Corinthians eleven sim, or twelve. 11 or 12, I'm forgetting now, where he says, I have brought you to Christ. I want you to remain a pure virgin before him to have the simplicity of devotion to Christ. Don't be led away to other saviors, other lords, other providers for you. Christ is your provider. Run to him. Find your refuge in him. So he says, okay, they're delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels. They are, this is another technical kind of term in verse 18, I think, right? going into detail about visions he has seen. Going into detail about visions he has seen. Or maybe your translation says, standing upon uh, things that he has seen. Or uh, going into, or spending so much time about these things. This word, going into. Again, the only time this word is used is here in Colossians 2.18. It is kind of a difficult one to wrap your head around. It's used in the Old Testament, again, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, to describe what did the Israelites do when they came into the land of Canaan back in the conquest, it, they came in and they took possession. This word being, going into detail about these things, taking possession of. They went in to take possession of the land. Or it could just mean they came into it. They entered into the land of this country or um Usually has an idea of destroying it, like uh, this guy who came into land and wanted to destroy it and lay hand on the sanctuaries. This is in Maccabees and different places. But so the idea can be uh, going into to take possession of, can be just entering into. It can mean to, as it's kind of portrayed here in this translation anyway, to go into detail, to elaborate on things, and say, well, this is what it is. I mean, me, let me uh, my English teacher in high school. Usually would respond to an essay question that I wrote or other people would write, and her one-word thing was, "elaborate." <sighs> elaborate, not long enough. Too many, not too many words. Well, elaborate. That's what they did. They just waxed eloquent upon things that they don't even know what they're talking about. Things that they've seen that might not be accurate and might not be real. What are you? Where are you getting that from? Where it is in? Where is that in the book? They're quoting all these different things. Do you remember how Paul? Responded, when he had those visions, he went up to the third heaven and he saw things that you cannot, you're not permitted to speak. Did he wax eloquent on those things? No, he didn't do that. He didn't utter those things. What about those things that Daniel heard? And the, the angel said, Don't write that down. They'll know about that soon enough. Don't write what you just heard. Do you know how many books are sold, how many movie series, how many scripts, how many TV series, how many magazine articles, interviews are about things that people have no idea what they're talking about? They are entering into elaborating on stuff. They have no reason, no basis for speaking about these things, especially as it relates to Christ, especially as it relates to the things that the scripture speaks so much about. Don't be taken captive through, how does he say it in verse eight captive through philosophy and empty deception there's nothing to it it sounds good sounds so good but it's based on their experience what they have seen well how do you know what they've seen it's kind of like so many people will will quote this phrase god told me oh well go right ahead then god told you what well to do something contrary to the word well if god told you then certainly put the book away and listen to what god told you well how are you supposed to know what god told you if it's written according to the book. Does it agree with that? Make sure you go to the written word, not just your experience. I'm about to read Job, and reading through the Bible, and there's so much arguments there that sound good, but they're not based on knowledge. Job's friends, it sounds, I mean, be careful what you quote from Job. Which guy are you quoting? Because they didn't speak rightly. Even Job, make sure you be careful what Job is talking about. If you want to do anything, quote like, Job 37 to 41, when God is talking, because that you can rest in that, or Job 1 and 2, where God is talking, that is true stuff. But the other arguments, what they're talking about, and I think this, and and we know this, well, you don't know that. You're making it up. Nehemiah 6.8. Look that up. That's a great verse. Nehemiah 6.8. But they're speaking things that, they're, that they have no authority to talk about. It says uh, thirdly here, third aspect, is that they are puffed up. They are um, Inflated in their minds. And it says that they are being puffed up for nothing by his fleshly mind. That's the third aspect. Don't let it to fraud you by being puffed up what they think, presenting their ideas as, as gospel or as truth. No. It says for nothing here. But this idea can mean three different things. Kind of profound what, what paul how many he doesn 't need to elaborate if you don 't mind, he, he uses uh, so many powerful terms that we can understand, some of them that are can 't really get a, a grasp on because of the, our historical situation so far removed, but this idea of in vain can have something to do with uh, they don 't have any basis for it there 's no reason for them to be puffed up in their minds or to be thinking of themselves as more highly than they ought to think uh, there 's no cause that they have uh, this idea in van in vain or for nothing can relate to. They don't have any purpose. There's nothing other than self-serving purpose. They have no reason for, for promoting this false doctrine. There is a nothing that can um, uh, be good out of this, this doctrine. It's a needless or, or unprofitable teaching. A third aspect of this uh, idea is that there's no result. There's, there's nothing that can be gained out of this false doctrine. This is vanity. This is foolishness. This will lead you away from Christ. Don't they have no reason for it, they have no purpose for it, they have no result that can be good result that can be uh, benefited by it, so don't listen to them. What this has done is puffs them up. It makes them look good. They think of themselves, oh, I've got the special stuff, I've got the special sauce, the special knowledge. They are puffed up or inflated in their own fleshly minds. Uh, scripture says elsewhere that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up, 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 1. This, I mean, that's true knowledge. When you have more knowledge, it can go to your head, literally, and make you think too highly of yourself. But love builds up. Love is motivated more for the other person. So we want to speak. Whatever we speak, we want to make sure it's a blessing to those who hear, Ephesians 4.29 says. Don't let your knowledge make you think more highly of of yourself than you ought to think. It's Romans 12.3. Uh, so many times he says that phrase, to think. Don't, don't think highly, not to think, but to think with sound thinking. It's essentially what he says there, Romans 12.3. Don't be puffed up. This is something you take it to yourself. You are uh, thinking, I've got you know, people really need to listen to me because I've got this special, special deal going on. But notice how, he, how Paul describes it. It is a, a, a vain inflation of the mind, but it's of the fleshly mind. Now, this is something you've got to put in the context, again, of Colossians, because the Colossian heretics were saying, and it became more full-fledged in terms of that Gnostic heresy another 150 years later, but they were putting a, a distinction between what is good, and that is spirit stuff is good and flesh is bad. So immaterial stuff, that's good, but the flesh, the physical stuff, that's bad. But what Paul is describing here, the immaterial thing, the mind, but it's a mind characterized by the flesh. So the very thing that the false teacher is saying, no, don't go for the flesh, that's the very thing Paul says, that's what you're going after. Your mind is characterized by a fleshly, physical, uh, sensual, uh, not in a a sexual sense, but sensual based on your senses, what you can feel, what you can touch and and taste and so forth. That's your experience, what you can see, what you can um, experience in your life. That's what your knowledge is based on. Don't be characterized, don't let your knowledge, your understanding of truth be characterized on your experience, what you feel. Shifting sand is what that is. Make sure that your knowledge, your doctrine comes from the sure teaching of the word of God, and specifically Christ himself. Hold fast to him. Their teaching, their puffed up, uh, inflamed or uh, inflated uh, self-estimation is based on their fleshly mind now any times that Paul talks about a fleshly mind or uh, works of the flesh or um, being characterized or run by the flesh it's not a good thing don't be run by what you feel or think what is right because like Romans 8 says those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who are according to the spirit the things of the spirit you know and I mentioned this before Paul, pretty sure, I have to go back and reflect on that, but pretty sure, no time, at no time in this letter to the Colossian church does he mention the Holy Spirit. And yet here he's referring to it. He says, don't be characterized by the flesh, live according to the Spirit. Bear the fruit of the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. He would say in Galatians and Ephesians also has that idea. But here in Romans 8, he's putting that contrast between the mindset in the flesh versus the mindset on the Spirit. The mindset in the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace because the mindset in the flesh is hostile toward God. Wait a minute. These false teachers who are, are saying you know Christian stuff, their mind is hostile to God. Why is it hostile to God? In this sense, because it detracts from Christ. Anything that detracts from Christ, God the Father will not abide. You remember the scripture that says, God, our God is a consuming fire. Remember the scripture that says, God, well, the commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. Don't worship angels. They're not, they are not worthy of being gods before me. They're, they're created beings. You are not worthy of being promoted to God status. I alone am God, my son is God. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. Pay attention to him these minds who's who are these people whose minds are set on the flesh are anti-god. The fourth aspect in verse 19 really cuts it to the quick and says what is what are they not doing? Maybe we ought to look at it more carefully next week because this this idea is is so profound and answers everything. It says here in verse 19 they are not holding fast to the head. They don't hold fast to the head. They don't Give proper attention to Christ. They they say they do. They say, oh, Christ is really good and everything. But you've also got to do this. You've also got to do this. And those angels are really important too. And for us to to come to God the Father, you know, we've got to come through these different angel levels, and we've got to go through all the bureaucracy. Make sure you do all the forms and all the all the regulations, stipulations. Follow all the the procedures, the protocols, and then we can come to God. It takes some time. we May not sure we've ever gotten there. But tell you what, pay attention to me. I'll get you there. False, false doctrine. Christ himself is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And if you come to the Father through Christ, don't let anyone defraud you of your prize. Now, I read a a long treatment last night uh, in a book called The Scots Worthies. You think, oh, that's kind of self-serving, isn't it? It's not about me. It's about my my grandpappies, my ancestors in Scotland who were worthies, who were... In Christ, and especially in the 15, 1600s, when a lot of bad things were going on in the British Isles, uh, these were folks like Hebrews 12 says or verse uh, Hebrews 11 says of whom the world was not worthy. These different saints, and so these were folks that were that uh, stood fast for Christ and and maintained a cause for Christ. Well, one guy I was reading about last night uh, did not live for Christ. He was a young man. I think he died when he was 23 years old. Is that right? Or 33. He was very young, uh, but he was raised well, good family, but he did not want to honor Christ. And it came to be King Charles I was was king, and and there was a time that, that he, this man, could have stood up in parliament because he was a sir, he was a lord. He could have spoken what is true. He could have appealed to the supremacy of Scripture and the authority of the um, of Christ in the church and over the church—not all the the popes and the and the bishops and the whole organization over here—but Christ and Christ organizing His church—and he didn't give testimony. He he took a, a bow. He bowed out of the thing. He left Parliament early. He claimed he was sick or something. Went home and forgot about it. Well, he didn't forget about it. He took ill, the illness that resulted in his death. And there were several minister of the gospel that came to him and this this whole account went on for page after page this was late at night and i was saying what in the world are they talk but they were appealing to him look to christ you are a sinner you need to find your salvation your assurance not in what you've done or what you haven't done but in what christ has done run to christ this, these these scots worthies were ministers of the gospel back in the you know 500 years ago giving praise to christ giving attention to him Don't be dissuaded. Don't be taken captive. Don't be defrauded of your prize. The prize is available in Christ. Remain connected to the head. Don't be distracted. Don't be cut off. Don't try to find a different head. Uh, Christ is it. He is the supreme one. He is head of the church. Give your devotion. Give your love. Give your, your dying devotion to Christ. Be willing. I mean, really. If you read the book. Scots worthies. So many of these people were martyred because of their stand on the Scripture, their stand in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. You know, the, the authority of Scripture, all those solas of the Reformation time period, and they died because the church of that age could not abide the truth of God's word. They cut into their power, cut into their authority, the money that was coming to them, their their prestige, their uh, being thought of well by the people. It doesn't matter if the people think well of you christ has rejected you that's bad news but in christ you can be received you can be welcomed into god's family look to him run to him appeal to another are you in christ have you thought about christ today have you read his word today have you told other people about christ do you love him that's where it matters remain connected to the head Love the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the truth of your word that celebrates, honors, and upholds and extols the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Please help us to be totally taken with him. Help us to find only uh, our life in him, to rest in him, to find our refuge, our shelter in Christ alone. There are so many voices that would speak against Christ and would say, No, no. Uh, he's real nice and everything, but you've got to do this. Or or even the worldly voices say, who is Christ that we should honor him or listen to him? You're fine. And besides, when you die, you're done. That is false. Our life on earth is just the beginning of our life. We pray that each soul here this morning would be alive in Christ. Not just faking it or, or going through the motions or, or somehow... Maybe partially characterized by Christ, but totally taken with the person and work of Christ, the beauty of Christ. He is the foundation of everything that we know to be true. He is the, the embodiment of your wisdom, of your knowledge, of all the treasures that are abiding in him. Please help us to give our attention to him. Please save. Please sanctify us. Please help us to stand firm in a very difficult time period. In our in 500 years ago, yes, but now, so much animosity, so much rebellion, so much just high handed uh, wrath against you, and yet nothing is compared to the wrath that you have for unbelievers, those who reject your son. Please save, please help, we pray in Christ's name.